0: Hello, and welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm one of your hosts, Katie Halper.
1: And I'm the second host, Aaron Maté. How's it going, everybody? And reminder to go to UsefulIdiotsPodcast.com to support the show and get bonus content.
0: Definitely do that. We have great extended interviews for you, and we have a really great feature, as you know, uh, called Thursday Throwdown, which is your midweek dose of media madness, where we react to media clips that are... Really incredible. And we try to get through them and make you laugh instead of cry. We do our best. We do our best. Yes.
1: Every week. And in this week's Thursday Throwdown, we go through many new outrages, including the U.S. media's response to Israel's bombing of a refugee camp in Gaza. And let's play a game of how many ways can our media minimize this latest massacre?
0: It's really fun. There are a couple ways to play it, as you'll see. There's how many ways can the media leave out it's Israel who did it? How many ways can the media leave out it's a refugee camp? And how many ways can you leave out that it's a bombing and just call it an explosion?
1: That's the game right there. That's the game, yeah. And this week we have a great show. We are going to be joined by the Columbia University Professor Rashid Khalidi. He is author of many books, including The Hundred Years' War on Palestine. And for an update from what's going on in the West Bank, where Israeli settlers are committing acts of terror along with the Israeli military, we are gonna be joined by Issa Amro, who is a veteran activist based in the West Bank.
0: Who's been uh, abused by the Israeli army many times. So should we get started with the four basic food groups? Democrats suck, Republicans suck, isn't that weird, isn't that terrible?
1: Yes, so for Democrats suck, we're gonna go through a wheelhouse of democratic voices. Let's start with Kamala Harris, who has this chilling warning for Iran. And what's the message to Iran? Don't.
2: As President Biden said, just don't. Exactly. One word, pretty straightforward.
0: To be fair, that's even more concise than her message to Guatemalans uh, and Central Americans, which is do not come.
1: Yeah, she cut it by more than half. That's a huge yeah. uh, a huge markdown.
0: Yeah, she's One even word. better on this issue than don't. she is on immigration, if you can imagine.
1: Yes, from do not come to don't. And Iran must be shaking in its boots right I now. Mean,
0: I mean, I'm glad what I wouldn't be, what I wouldn't give to be a fly on the wall when Iranian officials heard that. Wow. All
1: right, let's move on to another Democratic leader. Hillary Clinton has some thoughts on calls for a ceasefire.
0: People who are calling for a ceasefire now do not understand Hamas. That is not possible. It would be such a gift to Hamas because they would spend whatever time there was a ceasefire in effect rebuilding their uh, armaments,
3: you know, creating stronger positions to be able to fend off uh, an e- eventual um, assault by the Israelis. So. We're in a
0: very different world. I don't think it had to be the world we're in, but that's where we are, and we've got to figure our way uh, forward through it.
1: So, sorry, we can't have a ceasefire. We can't stop massacring civilians because Hamas could rearm. Uh, well, meanwhile, we're arming Israel constantly with right. the bombs that are being dropped on refugee camps.
0: It's like, what's the point of us arming Israel to the teeth and making them? able to inflict such disproportionate damage and harm and death and destruction, if they're only gonna be able to rearm.
1: Yeah. And if the Palestinians who were killing get a chance to maybe escape or at least get some supplies to bear the bombing that we're enabling. So sorry. Yeah, but
0: Aaron, they're using them as human shields. Right. You know, you yes. know, someone point this out, they're actually not human shields if they're not working, which they're not they're not using them as human shields. Even if they were trying to use them as human shields, which is in itself contestable. And in fact, according to Amnesty International, according to Norman Finkelstein, Israel uses human shields with more frequency than uh, Hamas does. But even if that were true, in order to be a human shield, people have to respect the civilian life. And since Israel doesn't, they're not human shields.
1: No, of course not. It's such a joke. And it's just terrorism logic, like, well, because these civilians happen to be in the vicinity of somewhere where we think someone from Hamas is. And again, when Israel claims it's bombing a Hamas militant, they should provide proof. But even if there is a Hamas militant somewhere in the vicinity, it doesn't justify wiping out hundreds of people, as is what happened at that refugee camp. And Israel claimed it was bombing one Hamas leader. Even if that's true, how does that justify killing all these innocent civilians and claiming that they're being used as human shields? It's so cynical. And it's a logic of what a, you know, your average terrorist would put forward uh, if they were trying to right. justify their atrocities. Let's go to another Democratic voice. Uh, John Fetterman was confronted by a constituent, uh, a human rights lawyer named Dan Kavalik, who just wanted to ask him, like, hey, why don't you call for a ceasefire? You're a good guy. Can't you get behind stopping a slaughter of thousands of innocents? And for asking this question, Dan Kavalik got assaulted and pushed out of the room.
3: Why not you support a humanitarian
0: ceasefire? No, I'm Thank with
3: God.
0: the team if I, I can talk to you. No, this. I can talk to I voted for him. I'm sorry, this is a democracy. It absolutely is. It yeah, absolutely yeah, is. but kind of,
3: sort of. Why? 10,000 people in Gaza have been killed. Half are children. The Pope's calling for a ceasefire. The UN has called for it. I'm just asking you. You're a good guy. I voted for you. I know you're a nice guy. This a, is important. You need to leave here. Can I give you a hug? I asked. senator. I asked. Editor,
0: so I asked him a question.
3: he just assaulted him. He just assaulted him.
0: He just assaulted him. By the way, we had Dan Kovalik on the Katie Halper Show to talk about his experience with Fetterman if people want to check it out.
1: Well, and for our audio audience who can't see the video, basically he's he's there just asking, you know, a very simple question. Why don't you support a ceasefire? Pointing out also
0: that he voted for him.
1: Right. And Senator Fetterman just stands there, looks at him like with a blank expression and then some goon just pushes dan Kavalik away like so you can't even ask a senator a polite right. question anymore about a policy they're supporting which in this case happens to be massacring innocent people and he gets thrown out for it and the you know the one thing about that clip which is kind of um entertaining or which is interesting is like the beat drops yeah on, on beast of bird right as great the song. goon is dan Kavalik. Right. so good Good synchronicity there by that goon to time it, his right. assault uh with the music. But otherwise, a shameful performance.
0: Shameful. Also, if you're not watching it um and you're just listening, you'll miss the fact that the goon is also wearing shorts and a hoodie. And um when uh so I guess he's it's he like must Fetterman. be he's like a Fetterman head. He's like a Fetterman groupie. And Norman finkelstein was like, never trust a man in a hoodie and shorts.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. That's I guess that's a lesson from all this. Yeah. Um, Betterman certainly is unbelievable with his pro Israel egoism. It's so
0: disappointing. It's not just that he doesn't support a ceasefire, which, as Dan Kovalik pointed out, the UN supports, the Pope supports. He's emphatically against it. He's offended by the idea of it. He's tweeted against it. I guess he's what you call a pep, a progressive except on Palestine, which you can't be.
1: yeah, I mean, I. I would also extend that to uh, the Ukraine proxy war because I don't think it's a progressive position to right. join Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell, but that's another story.
0: That's another story. He's a, but, he's a, he's a pepu. progressive pepu, except on Palestine and Ukraine.
1: There we go. So speaking of Republican neocons, what do we have for Republican suck?
0: Oh boy, do we have a great moment from an interview that Abby Phillips of CNN did with uh, Senator Lindsey Graham. Let's just take it away. Let's go to the videotape
3: civilian casualties. Is there a threshold for you
1: and do you think there should be one for the United States government at which the U.S. would
2: say Let, let's hold off for a second in terms of civilian casualties?
1: I,
0: I, is, there, is there a point at no, which no. you
3: would start to question? No, the I, if somebody asked us after World War II, is there a limit what you would do to make sure that Japan and Germany don't conquer the world. Is there any limit what Israel should do to the people who are trying to slaughter the Jews? The answer is no. There is no limit. But here's what you need to do. Be smart. Let's try to limit civilian casualties the best we can. Let's put humanitarian aid in areas to protect the innocent. I'm all for that. But this idea that Israel has to apologize for attacking Hamas, who's embedded with their own population, needs to stop. The goal is to destroy Hamas. Hamas is creating these casualties, not Israel.
0: I don't think anyone's. So does does Lindsey Graham think that every. Bad actor in the world usually is on a different planet, like doesn't live among civilians and Hamas is exceptional in in being surrounded by civilians when, by the way, as you pointed out, Aaron, uh, Israel's uh, army headquarters are smack in the middle of Tel Aviv.
1: Yeah, Max Blumenthal pointed this out, and the analogy he's making to World War II is insane. Hamas, whatever you think of them, they're being occupied by Israel. They've been occupied and displaced by Israel since almost after World War II, since 1948. The occupation of the West Bank and Gaza began in 1967. We're talking about decades and decades of occupation. Hamas, whatever you think of them, that's what they're resisting. And Lindsey Graham wants us to draw a direct line between Hamas and the Nazis. Well, you know, if there's a direct line to draw at all, I think, between the World War II and today, I I think you can compare Israel's conduct to the Nazis. It's certainly not at that level of atrocity. But in terms of the disregard for human life, the genocidal intent, all these Israeli leaders talking about how there's no distinction between Hamas and Gaza civilians, talking about ethnic cleansing openly. Um, talking about these people being human animals. I mean, that's all Nazi rhetoric. And Lindsey Graham wants us to, again to see the perpetrators here as the victims. Right. That's nuts. It's absolutely nuts.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely disgusting. But in a way, I like it that he's honest about it, that there's no human toll that would um there's no point at which Israel would have to use any restraint for Lindsey Graham. He doesn't care. He's just yeah. bragging about how much blood he has on his hands, Palestinian blood.
1: And it's just so amazing that these people can go on TV with a straight face and talk about how Israel is not targeting civilians. It's only targeting Hamas. While meanwhile, right. the death toll is in the thousands. Um, more children have already been killed in three weeks in Gaza than have been killed inside Ukraine in nearly two years. The list of names that have come out, you look at it, you can just, you know, scroll and scroll and scroll. And all you'll see is children, women, um, according Infants. to the U.S., actually. If it's according to the U.N., that's the majority of the casualties is women and children. And Lindsey Graham can go on TV and pretend as if somehow Israel is just going after militants and only targeting them. You know, I I wonder what the confirmed toll of of actual Hamas militants is so far. Uh, I don't think it's very high. And certainly the number of civilians is exponentially higher.
0: Yeah. It's just disgusting. And the fact that he can say this and will face no consequences is also telling.
1: Yeah, and the fact that progressives can stand with this guy on another major global issue which is the ukraine proxy war i wonder if the fact that this openly genocidal fanatic is on your side on another major geopolitical conflict i wonder if that will spark any reflection yeah. about maybe 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 it's not such a good idea right
0: maybe we have yeah. to re rejigger our moral compass yeah
1: yeah well speaking of ukraine phrasing that weird check out the halloween costumes for Secretary of State Antony Blinken's children. For our audio audience, this is Antony Blinken uh, with his children at the White House meeting with Joe Biden in Halloween costumes, and his kids are dressed up in Ukraine gear, his daughter's wearing a Ukrainian flag and his son is dressed up as Zelensky asking Joe Biden for treats. Basically like with his hand outstretched asking Joe Biden for Halloween treats, which is a great metaphor. It really is. For Zelensky and Biden in real life. Right. Because Zelensky is entirely dependent now on US weapons assistance. And Zelensky's also meanwhile being left behind. He's being left out in the cold. Uh, because right now Biden's focus is on Gaza and there was just this long profile in Time Magazine about Zelensky and it paints a really really bleak picture so just one year ago Time Magazine named Zelensky the person of the year right Zelensky was Time's person of the year now Time has revisited Zelensky and his entourage and things are very very dire so here's an excerpt of this article and this is what Time Magazine says Zelensky feels betrayed by his Western allies. They have left him without the means to win the war, only the means to survive it. And then it goes on to cite the worries of some of Zelensky's closest aides. And this is what it says. Zelensky's belief in Ukraine's ultimate victory over Russia has hardened into a form that worries some of his advisors. It is immovable, verging on the messianic, Quote, he deludes himself, unquote, one of his closest aides tells me. We're out of options. We're not winning. But try telling him that, unquote. So according to Zelensky's own aides, the Ukrainian leader, who was once a global hero, time person of the year, is now deluded and (laughs) is speaking in unhinged ways that leave his advisors very worried that he sees himself as this like messianic savior that only he can lead Ukraine into victory. And that was predictable. We've said on the show forever that the U.S. strategy, even from the point of view of like, you know, Ukraine's battlefield prospects was a dead end, that Ukraine could never defeat this much larger power on its borders. And so pouring in weapons was only going to sustain the proxy war, sustain the suffering, and sacrifice tens of thousands of people. And now it seems even Zelensky's aides are acknowledging that, unfortunately not Zelensky himself.
0: All right. Well, if we, can we go back to the Halloween costume? Cause I, I have two things to say. One is to say that maybe next year, um, Blinken's kids can dress up as Netanyahu and his daughter can just be wearing blue and white. But um, I do think that it kind of sucks for the daughter. Like you can't tell me a little kid wants to be a country embodied, like wants to dress up as yellow and blue. Who the hell wants that? You know, at least the sun gets to dress up as a figure, like problematic as he is. At least he gets to take on, wear a costume. This is just a weird conceptual thing. Like you're going to be Ukraine.
1: <laughs> that Child isn't very really yeah. not very imaginative on no. part. And you really didn't think he could bring more suffering to the children of the world than he already has.
0: Exactly. But yes,
1: he's even bringing it to his own children by giving his own children. It.
0: Yeah. Well, next year, next year, I hope that the sun is blue and white, wears blue and white, and she gets to be, um, I don't know, Netanyahu or, uh, or some genocidal female Israeli minister. For Isn't That Terrible, there's a really weird phenomenon happening, and the best way to understand it is through this uh, TikTok video.
3: You're going to start seeing this image all over social media, so I figured I would try to explain what it means. Would you hide me? It means that Jewish people all over the world are under attack. And we are so scared that another Holocaust is going to happen. During the Holocaust, Jews were torn out of their homes and had no safe place to go unless one of their neighbors who wasn't Jewish would take them in and hide them. The Nazis were a terrorist organization
0: similar to Hamas. Okay, that's the first important piece of information. The Nazis were similar to Hamas.
3: Okay. And like those right now who support Hamas, were brainwashed into thinking there should be no more Jews six million jewish people were murdered during the holocaust and the fact is the nazis did not just stop at jews they wanted to kill black people gay people disabled people millions of these groups were murdered so right now in the world when you're seeing anti-israel rallies chanting and parading the streets saying to end all jews we truly
0: by the way these rallies are not saying end all jews they're saying ceasefire now free palestine
1: so some people like mayim bialik blossom, yeah. The- Actor who played Blossom have been saying that the chant is "We want Jewish genocide." Right, right? but the chant—I th- think you pointed this out. Yeah, I did. I tweeted it. Actually, it yeah. We charge you with genocide. Yeah,
0: we charge you with genocide. Right, speaking to Israel and the United States. Right, but a uh, some a Zionist quoted that that's what it was. He then deleted it because it wasn't that. But of course, instead of clarifying it, uh, he didn't. So now people like Blossom get to think that that's what's happening.
1: I mean, do they really think? Let's say someone was fanatic and crazy enough to actually right. want Jewish genocide, which, of course, nobody in the pro palestine movement is. But let's say they were. Would they really be chanting that in public? It's so nuts, right? It's so and of nuts. course, if yeah. you listen, if you listen to the recording. It's so obvious. Like you have to take a really big leap to hear that. We charge you with genocide.
0: As to, we want Jewish that, genocide. We
1: want Jewish genocide. I mean, yeah. there is that one syllable "Jew" and "you." Right.
0: Right. Which uh, can okay. Yeah. 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 But so yeah. it, rhymes.
1: it rhymes, but it that's
0: rhymes,
3: about it. Yeah. We're so scared that another Holocaust is going to happen. Jewish people right now are asking if we're not safe in public or on campuses. At some point, are we not going to be safe in our own homes? Jewish people are looking around right now, wondering if our non-Jewish friends and neighbors would take us in if we were unsafe. We're wondering right now that if the families we grew up with that are non-Jewish in our neighborhoods would take us in or turn their backs on us. So when you see this image and wonder what it means, I'm asking you, would you hide me?
0: So I, by the way, I I have a response to that. If I I see that anywhere, this is what I'm gonna write right underneath. Would you weaponize and desecrate the Holocaust to distract from Israel's genocide of Palestinians, which is happening as we speak? For
1: them, the answer is absolutely yes. Right. You know, who else is doing that is the Israeli envoy to the UN.
0: Oh my God
1: showed up at a un meeting wearing a yellow star to you know just as jews were forced to wear uh during the nazi holocaust
0: and such
1: have the gall to invoke the memory of the nazi holocaust victims and to even sport the, the the yellow star and somehow draw some kind of link between themselves and holocaust victims while they're inflicting mass murder it's um unbelievable it's it's unbelievable
0: it's It's so to dare compare officials of the israeli government to the innocent jews who were killed during the holocaust for just being jewish while while israel is killing palestinians for just being palestinian
1: let's show a picture of this look at there they are there they are in the u.n general assembly wearing the yellow star these israeli officials um how do you how do you look yourself in the mirror and go out in public and do that i it's just it's it's incredible
0: there's like there's no load that they won't go to to try to use the holocaust to deflect from what they're doing like that stupid woman we just saw on TikTok who apparently has millions of followers and like those members of uh uh the israeli government there it is so transparent and it does it's such a cheapening and trivialization of a real devastating genocide that they are absolutely just using in the most transparent transactional way it's absolutely horrific i can't imagine what the people who like who were killed during the holocaust would be thinking if they saw this
1: But going back to Anthony Blinken and his Halloween costume for his children, do you have any more ideas, Katie, for-
0: Good question, Aaron. Yeah. Uh, So someone who's been really um, talking about the Holocaust a lot and um, really leaning into her Islamophobia is um, Amy Schumer. So I just thought that maybe uh, next year, uh, Anthony Blinken's daughter could be Amy Schumer since she had such a lame costume this year. Just an idea I had. And did you see, Amy Schumer tweeted out um, uh, Martin Luther King saying the whole world must see that israel must exist and uh that she put that on instagram and she tweeted it out this is an amazing thing that happened though which is that um unfortunately for amy schumer martin luther martin luther king jr's daughter responded to Amy Schumer and wrote, Amy, certainly my father was against anti-Semitism as am I. He also believed militarism, along with racism and poverty, to be among the interconnected triple evils. I'm certain he would call for Israel's bombing of Palestinians to cease, for hostages to be released, and for us to work for true peace, which includes justice. The amazing thing about this, though, is that Amy Schumer's pinned tweet is still the Martin Luther King tweet.
1: Does she really think that the guy who called the U.S. the greatest purveyor of violence in the world today, and which is now helping Israel's violence, that he really would stand with Israel right now. It's um, who was, you know, who sacrificed so much to oppose the Vietnam War and who became shunned by liberal Americans because he took like, that step Like situation. Amy Schumer.
0: Well, no, the yeah, answer is, Aaron. she doesn't think that because she doesn't know that about Martin Luther King,
1: I'm sure. Well, I'm very grateful then to Dr. King's daughter for correcting yes. her. Yes. Yeah hopefully i mean not that that will make any difference but no
0: as she she still she still has it uh, on her pin tweet it's amazing she will not back down we are so excited to be speaking to professor rashid Khalidi. he is the edward said professor of modern arab studies at columbia university and the author of several books including the 100 years war on palestine a history of settler colonialism and resistance from 1917 to 2017 and he's a wonderful speaker, historian, writer. Very excited to talk to him, Professor Khalidi. Thank you so much for joining. I know that both Aaron and I are big fans of your book, The Hundred Years War on Palestine. Um, as a historian, wanted to ask you what the historical context is. <laughs> that's required and missing in order to understand the present moment. And also, would this moment count as another chapter in this war, making it, I guess, a 106-year war on Palestine?
2: Yeah, Uh, it's actually gone on for more than 100 years. So, yes, um, it is more than 100 years war now. In fact, the last chapter includes the wars on Gaza. But I think this one is qualitatively different. It's also quantitatively different. It's different in so many ways. You know, All of the Israel, all of the wars that have been fought between Israel and Arab states and Israel and the Palestinians and Hezbollah and whoever, since 1948, since the 48 war, have been fought mainly on Arab soil. In other words, 56 was fought in Egypt, 67 Israel occupied Arab territories, 73 was fought in occupied Arab territory. Um, The 1982 war was fought in Lebanon. The 2006 war was fought in Lebanon. So there have been attacks into Israel by Palestinian groups. There have been terrorist attacks or attacks that have been described as terrorist attacks inside Israel. But this is really the first time that with the eruption of Hamas out of Gaza on the 6th of of, um, October, that you had serious fighting inside the territory of Israel and that you had this level of Israeli casualties and of civilian casualties in such a short period of time. Mm-hmm. This makes it different than anything that's happened before. Usually Israel is fighting outside of its own territory, however you define it, uh, except for stuff that happens like like car bombs or attacks on Israeli soldiers inside. Mm-hmm. This is different in that respect. Uh, it's different in a second respect in that the number of civilian casualties is higher than I think any time. Uh, on the Israeli side, um, maybe since the Second Intifada, um, and certainly higher in a short period of time than any time since the 1948 war. And on the Palestinian side, it's probably the highest casualty, I mean, it's it's going up as we speak. It's over 9,000 people killed, over 20,000 wounded, a couple thousand missing. Uh, we are getting to the level of the 1982 war in Lebanon, when about 19,000 people were killed. Maybe half or maybe more of them were Lebanese, but we're reaching a point where the number of Palestinian casualties is the highest ever since 1948. So for both Palestinians and Israelis, this is another level. Um, Even in terms of Israeli soldiers, military casualties, um, this is almost to the level of the 1982 invasion of Lebanon, when about 480 or 490 Israeli soldiers died. Um, the, is, Israel lost uh, uh, over 300 soldiers and about 50 policemen in the initial attack, and we're over 400 now, I think. So this is a this is a new chapter. This is a some kind of, of, of we're in a new place as a result of this.
0: And what what is the history that needs to be understood? I mean, for people who aren't his historians or history students even you've referred to a discursive war that right. uh, israel is very good at so for people who want to to engage in this what history do you think those of us who want to make the case for not to sound corny but ha- palestinian humanity need to be making so people understand that this didn't just start october 7th
2: right One of the things that Palestinians are obsessed with is that this has been a process intended since the beginning to push them off their land, to replace uh, Palestinians with Israelis since 1948. That's how they see the Nakba, the 750,000 people driven out or who fled in 1948. That's how they see what happened in 1967 when another quarter of a million people were taken to the river and forced to cross. And that is what they fear may happen in Gaza, either that the population will be expelled from Gaza, as seemed to be the intention at the beginning, or at the very least compressed into a smaller space within Gaza, driven out of the northern part of the Gaza Strip into the southern part. And that is of a piece with how they see what's happening in the West Bank, as the Palestinians are reduced to smaller and smaller and smaller parts of the West Bank. That's actually also happening in the West Bank. At least three villages have been depopulated by armed settlers and the Israeli army since the 6th of October. And there are more pressures, especially on isolated vill- villages in the southern part of the West Bank and in the Jordan River Valley. So Palestinians see this as part of a war on Palestine, as part of an attempt to you know, depopulate part of a demographic war, if you want. And that demographic logic is also present in Israel. You have Israeli demographers who talk about it all the time, the Palestinian demographic threat. There are so many of these Palestinians, we have to reduce their numbers and so on. So I think both sides actually see it to some extent uh, in this in this in this context. But for Palestinians, it's a it's a traumatic fear based on their history. And it's something that Israel doesn't want to draw attention to. They'll say, oh, we did this. We had to do this. It's security. You know, they attacked us. They killed all these civilians. Therefore, everything is permitted. But there is logic behind it. There's planning behind it, clearly. And you can see it in some of the documents that are coming out of Israel. What might be the planning,
0: like the trying to drive them all to Sinai?
2: Yeah, that plan that came out of the intelligence ministry. Right. Um, it's been poo pooed. It's been it had it had no it, it had no value as a decision. It wasn't a decision, but it indicated a line of thinking within the Israeli government.
1: What do you make of the Biden administration's response so far? And are you have you been surprised at all at the level of support that Biden has offered, uh, refusing to call for a ceasefire only now? Know after many weeks and thousands of deaths now saying that, okay, we should have a pause right. mainly to get the hostages out. Right. Um, and also downplaying the death toll saying he doesn't believe the figures that have been put out by Gaza's health ministry. Has it surprised you at all just how extreme Biden has been in, in supporting Israel?
2: Short answer, no. And I think that what the president said about the Palestinian death toll was absolutely despicable and unforgivable and requires a public apology by the president himself, not by some flack. Um, when you have people dying in these numbers and you have loving attention to the deaths of Israeli civilians, merited, but nevertheless, day after day after day after day of the administration harping on Israeli civilian casualties, and you have nine times the number of Palestinian casualties, and you have the president of the United States disparaging the numbers, this is insulting, demeaning, absolutely despicable. I'll use the words that uh, the the, the the White House press secretary used repugnant Repugnant, and despicable and can only be made up by actual atonement. He will lose the support of vast numbers of people. If he doesn't just issue a a, a, a presidential order for a a task force on Islamophobia, if he doesn't, he has to apologize for this. It is, it is, it's unforgivable um, given the death toll. And particularly given the attention to the atrocious deaths of Israeli civilians, atrocious deaths of civilians are atrocious deaths of civilians. Violations of international humanitarian law are violations of international humanitarian law. An Israeli baby is not more valuable than a Palestinian baby, unless you're an overt racist, unless you're some kind of supremacist saying, you know, "This, this human life, we value more than that human life. The fact that that an enormous amount has been made, uh, grisly detail of how so many Israeli civilians were killed, doesn't change that. Um, Now, was I surprised? Um, More to the point. Uh, I was actually not surprised. This administration has been beyond Trumpian in its acceptance and furtherance of every position put forward by the Trump administration, without exception. Every single thing they said. Moving the capital to Jerusalem, rubber-stamped. Golan Heights uh, annexation, uh, legitimate, rubber-stamped. Occupation no longer illegal, as Pompeo said, rubber-stamped. I mean, you can go down the line, the consulate in Jerusalem, the PLO office, every single thing that Trump did, up to and including the Abraham Accords, every single thing this administration has endorsed and furthered. So, was I surprised? No. Uh, We all know that ever since he met Golda Meir, ever since he met every other Israeli leader ever since, he has taken whatever Israelis say as gospel. He believes, in other words. He's not, this is not hypocrisy. This is not cynical. He's not a man who's repeating things he doesn't believe. You know, I would argue that you've had American presidents like President Bush the Elder and uh, Barack Obama, who held their tongue on things that they knew better. Um, and did what was politic, and did what, was, what they were told by their advisors was in the national interest, or whatever, for whatever reason, they did what they did. I don't think that's the case with this president. I think he believes. On the other hand, having said that, I do believe that he was affected by the impact of the reporting of what happened the first few days of this attack um, to Israeli civilians. And I think the people around him were affected. I think you could see that in the way Blinken presented himself when he arrived in Israel. I think you could see that in the way the president himself spoke the first few days. He hasn't apparently either been shown or told anything like what he was shown and told about Israeli civilian losses regarding Palestinians. Um, so that you can blame that on the circle of people who insulate the president from reality, which undoubtedly they do. as as has been done to every president I've ever heard of. I mean, I recall the 2003 war, the Bush administration insulated itself from anything that its own intelligence community, its own State Department, its own expertise within the military would have told it had they been allowed. So this is not the first time. But um, I, I find this a particularly egregious case because one thing that they seem to have not thought about was that everything they told themselves about how much the Arabs disliked or didn't care about the Palestinians was complete and utter nonsense. It is very clear if you look at the history, which nobody in Washington seems to want to do, that the Palestinians have always cared about, uh, sorry, that Arab people have, Arab peoples have always cared cared about Palestine. Their regimes may not have, but in a situation like this, as anyone could have told them, as happened in the 1930s, as happened in 1948, as happened in the 1960s, And Arab public opinion were on the same page, even if the Arab governments were not. And uh, they don't seem to have noticed this until it was too late. And now you have Bahrain breaking diplomatic relations. You have Jordan withdrawing its ambassador. You have Bolivia, uh, a bunch of Latin American countries um, breaking relations or withdrawing their ambassadors. And finally, they're figuring out, well, the rest of the world actually sees this as something quite egregious and quite serious in the Arab world. I mean, you had the first demonstrations in 10 years in Cairo. You had uh, some countries, you have demonstrations all the time, Yemen, enormous demonstrations in spite of a civil war. Uh, this This is not unprecedented. And had they any interest in history or any knowledge of history in this little tight circle around the president, presumably they would have at least thought of that before they took this uncompromising position in support of absolutely everything Israel wanted to do.
1: And what, what kind of leverage does the U.S. have over Israel? Could Israel carry out this mass murder campaign without U.S. support?
2: I mean, there's U.S. support on at least two levels. I mean, I, I think the United States is probably supplying some of the munitions. So the bombs and the shells are being replenished, at least, from U.S. stores inside Israel for, or from other or, or being shipped in by, by, uh, by C5As. That's one level. So, No. They 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 would need replenishment They dropped 9000 bombs on Gaza the Gaza Strip since this began by one tally. I'd love to know how many artillery shells we know how many artillery shells were fired in 2014. And one day the Israeli logistical command will tell us Uh, they're needing they need that resupply, obviously. So that's one level. The second level is the constantly repeated refrain that Israel has a right of self-defense. This is not an ideological position only. This is a legal position. Under the Leahy Amendment and other U.S. law, U.S. weapons can only be used for defensive purposes. If Israel is engaged in a war of aggression, or if Israel is considered to have gone beyond the limit of what is defensive, then these things are illegal. And the president is liable for violation of U.S. law by delivering U.S. weapons to Israel in violation of those laws. So every time you hear an American spokesman bleat Uh, Israel has the right of self-defense. They are not just giving Israel cover for whatever it happens to be doing at that moment. They are covering their own butts. They're covering their own their own liability under U.S. law. If 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 those things are, in fact, not for defensive purposes.
0: Which it seems like there's not a single thing for for the American uh, elites, at least that Israel can do that doesn't fall under that. In other words, there's no limit to what they'll consider self-defense.
2: I think that's right for the governing class. And I think that may be right for older people, for the, most people in the Republican Party. I don't think it's it's necessarily the case for a, a very large number of Americans. Right. Um, one poll said 66% of Americans favor a ceasefire, which is diametrically opposed uh, uh, to Israeli policy and to U.S. policy. The president has been categorical in giving Israel cover and, and, and re- rejecting out of hand any possibility of a ceasefire. And, and again, uh, spokesmen have described the ceasefire as outrageous, supportive of her right. and so on and so forth. That's the elite. That's not the, that's not the American people right. if the polls are correct. And it's certainly not younger Americans or the base of the Democratic Party. I mean, we know that. Um, I was read on, a, on TV the other day, a, a poll by I think Becky Anderson on CNN, and she said Americans from eighteen to thirty five who were polled on whether they supported the president's policy in this crisis, uh, on that on to that question, only ten percent answered in the affirmative. He has ten percent of support among young Americans. In other words, his party base, and you could do the same thing for African Americans. you could do the same thing for other other minorities. But those that's the Democratic Party base. It's young people and minorities. It's not old white people in the United States. Uh, And those people are highly alienated. So whatever the elites feel about Israel having absolute right of self-defense, irrespective, uh, you know, international humanitarian law be damned. That's not how a very large number of Americans feel.
0: I know that. Well, speaking of Americans not feeling that way, I know that you've mentioned in the past and recently how the palestinian movement is stronger than ever and there has never been this much public support for the cause so how does that translate into change in terms of policy like how can we leverage all this public international support for palestine uh so that it has an effect on the us un uh questioning support of israel and an effect perhaps on israel's policies
2: right um, I, I think what you're referring to is is my, my sense leading up to these events, that uh, in American public opinion, there had been a market shift uh, in terms of sympathy for the Palestinians. And that poll, which showed that more Democrats sympathized with Palestinians than with Israel, right. um, was an indication of that. Um, there has also been global support. On the other hand, there has been a decline in the support of Arab governments, there's no question. I mean, you have this normalization process is an indication of a shift in entirely the other direction on the part of not only of the governments that have established relations with Israel. They're not peace agreements because they were never at war with Israel. Bahrain never fought Israel, nor did Morocco, nor did the Emirates. They didn't even exist when Israel, the Emirates and, and sorry, the Emirates and Bahrain weren't independent countries when Israel was established, absurd peace agreements. Anyway, um, but that was a, that was an indication of a shift in quite the other direction uh, insofar as, as these unrepresentative, undemocratic, autocratic regimes are concerned in the Arab world. I, I would say two things. Uh, one is that uh, about how things might go. World support for the Palestinians has increased. And you can see that in the General Assembly, about 120 countries to 14 mm-hmm. um, last week. I think in the United States, the scale of Israeli civilian casualties in the first week has sapped support for Palestinians, Mm -hmm. at least in some sectors. But more importantly, it hasn't in others. I mean, students are still, I think, largely supportive of the Palestinians, even if they may be critical of Hamas and what it did. That doesn't change their basic view of what the conflict is for many students, many young people, many minorities. I know that from my contacts and people I've talked to. What it has done, however, is put the backlash on steroids. We are seeing a shutting down on campuses by administrations that are not afraid to say you have no you do not have rights of free speech or this, this and this is concerned. This kind of speech is anti-Semitic or this kind of speech goes beyond the bounds. And this is happening at Columbia, at at Harvard, and it's all surreptitious. It's all done within the university. Uh, If they make a public statement, it's always biased. But what the, the, administ- the, the way in which this is done is always quietly and silently. Um, uh, events are not allowed to take place. Um, reservations for halls are canceled. Um, there was an event. This was not a university event. They had, to find, they, had to find, they had to go to five different venues before they were able to find a place to hold that event uh, last night. And that's par for the course. Same thing is happening in London. Uh, I was supposed to speak in an event, uh, the, the police, the anti-terrorism police went to the Royal Geographic Society and told them, you can't hold it here for security reasons. <laughs> and multiple other venues shut it down until finally they found the venue. And that's happening in universities. And groups are, are I think, about to be shut down. Uh, uh, student groups are about to be shut down. So, I th- and, and we see laws and we see investigations and we see the FBI uh, uh, being mobilized. Much of this in the name of an, an opposition to anti-Semitism, right. a whole spate of anti-Semitic attacks or anti-Semitic hate speech across the United States, which this, the, the, these efforts are ostensibly directed towards and are to a large extent directed towards, but they are also intended purposely to shut down speech around Palestine by saying anything you say is support for a terrorist entity. Um, The ADL has actually said that any, uh, some of what students have said constitutes support for Hamas. That meets the level of material support for a terrorist entity under the Patriot Act, and they should therefore be prosecuted. So students are going to be prosecuted if this advice from ADL is followed. This hate group, the ADL, an anti-Palestinian, anti-Muslim group. Is followed by any any uh, state or federal authority. This is going to be followed by prosecutions of people for talking about Palestine, which it is claimed as anti-Semitic. And I, I think that's the direction we're going to go because uh, I think the, the the level of the horror of, the, of, of what happened in the, in the in the week or so, the few days after the attack of October 7th, as it was revealed in those days, um, has has given uh, those voices that were on the defensive, uh, a chance to go on the offensive, uh, again.
1: I'm wondering if you could respond to, um, what Israel claims after its atrocities. So for example, the bombing of the Jabalia refugee camp, Israel says, well, we told the residents to leave. Uh, you have family in Gaza, you have contacts in Gaza. Uh, what do you make of this claim from Israel that basically it's the, If civilians get killed in Gaza, it's their fault because they didn't listen to our orders to clear the area.
2: First of all, under international humanitarian law, there's a principle of proportionality. To kill one Hamas official leader militant, uh, it is not permissible to kill 50 or 60 or 100 civilians. It's just not permissible under under international law. And if Israel wants to rewrite international law and the United States wants to go along with it, that's not going to be accepted by anybody else. Uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is, telling people to leave in the case of something like a hospital is impossible. They can't leave. You cannot unplug infants from, uh, from incubators. You cannot unplug people from dialysis machines. You cannot unplug people who are getting drips. I mean, it's, it's physically impossible. Thirdly, there's nowhere to run to. There, there's no shelter. Um, my niece's in-laws live in the Riman neighborhood of Gaza. They have been forced to move three times. The first time they moved to the southern part of Gaza uh, under the assumption that Israel said you would be safe there. They were bombing the southern part of Gaza, even as they were telling people to go there. They moved back. The family then broke split up. Some moved back to the Riman neighborhood of Gaza. And then that neighborhood came under bombardment, and they've now moved to the area of the Shifa Hospital, a Shifa hospital, which is not far from their home, but which they hoped would be a safe area. And as a doctor friend of mine who works there said, it's become a refugee camp. Um, the, 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 The hospital is almost no longer a hospital. It's crowded with refugees, people who hope and assume that Israel's lies notwithstanding, they might be safe there. Israel says you would be safe if you go here, and then they bomb the places that they claim they would be safe in. And I've, I've heard Israeli spokesmen on, uh, on CNN say, no, it's not true. We don't bomb the areas in the south of Gaza. <laughs> they were in the south of Gaza. They were bombed and they went back to Rimet, to the Riman neighborhood. Now they've moved for a third time. So th- this is a false narrative. This is an attempt to cover up what are un- undoubtedly war crimes, violations of international humanitarian law, which is to say, which violate the principle of proportionality. You, you destroy an entire building to kill one person and you're violating a principle which is a pillar of international humanitarian law
1: another israeli talking point that um i'd love for you to respond to is more historical but it's constantly trotted out to justify whatever israel's doing which is that israel's constantly offered palestinians these generous peace offers and these greedy palestinians who refuse to coexist with israelis them and of all the historical myths that still endure today, to me, this is the most damaging. Yeah, it's so widespread, and people repeat it as if it's just yeah. like air we breathe. And to hear the
3: rest of the interview, please go to usefulidiotspodcast.com.
0: That was great,
1: that was wonderful. And again, Professor Khalidi's book is called The Hundred Years' War on Palestine, highly recommended.
0: It's a really great read because it's not just a history. It also is personal because his family was involved in lots of this history. In fact, one of his relatives corresponded with none other than Theodore Herzl about Zionism and about um, the plan for, for Zionism. So it's a really great read. Highly recommend it.
1: And stay tuned to Useful Idiots because in the coming days, we have a bonus episode coming out. It's with Isa Amro, he is an activist based in the occupied West Bank, and he shares with us a really harrowing experience he recently went through at the hands of Israeli soldiers being abducted and tortured. And this is not the first time he's gone through something like this. So that interview will be released very soon on our YouTube page and our podcast feed, all of which is available at UsefulIdiotsPodcast.com.
0: Also, make sure you are a subscriber because in our extended interview with Professor Khalidi, he talks about this pretty ridiculous Atlantic piece denying the fact that Israel was a settler colonial project. And he, of course, is an expert in this. So that's a, a, an important thing to listen to and watch.
1: All right. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you next time.
0: Bye.